Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you guys for coming into my home for Gospel Saving Church in McKinney, Texas. And thank you all you that come from all over the world. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. This is your first time listening to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. This is our weekly broadcast of truth, and I sure hope that you didn't come here to be entertained. God's Word is for our edification. It's for our, it's for our getting to know Him more. It's for our lives and our hearts to be transformed before God, and none of that is really that entertaining. It's really to grow closer to God and get to know Him more, to do His will and to know His will for our lives and to get us into a deeper relationship with Him. So if you're going to a church or if you've been to a church that they like to entertain you, that's not really a church of God. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, we always start with a word of prayer. So you guys want to join me in a word of prayer? Let's ask God to bless our message and bless our hearts to help us understand what He has to say to us today. Lord, we thank You so much for bringing us here. We thank You so much, Lord God, for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You so much, Lord God, that Your heart is, Lord, that those that belong to You, Lord, that You want to draw us nearer and You want to draw us closer, Lord, unto You. You want to draw us, Lord, into, into the very center of your heart, into your arms, Lord, to embrace us, Lord. And for those that are not yours, Lord, your very heart for them, Lord, is to even bring them to begin that beautiful relationship, Lord God, to, to draw them to you, to start that, uh, draw, that, that in-drawing, Lord, where you draw them into your arms and draw them into your heart, Lord, and so that they would get to know you, Lord, for the first time. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your heart, for mankind. Give us, Lord, that are yours all a heart for humanity, especially the lost, Lord, as you have for them. Uh, Lord, we thank you and praise you for another awesome day, Lord. We, those that are hearing this message, Lord, we got to get up another day. Lord, there's, there's thousands upon thousands, I believe, every single minute that die, Lord, and hopefully they've made their reconciliation with you, Lord, through Christ before they die. But the Bible says that many do not. So, Lord, thank you that we are here and that we're alive and we get to listen to another message or seek your face some more. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord God, that you help us to understand what you have to say to us today. And, Lord, then help us to understand and then help us to make application to our lives. For wisdom without action is foolishness, Lord. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. You spoke that to me years ago. So, Lord, help us to apply what we learn today to our lives and help us, Lord God. Help us either come to you for the first time or help us come to be more intimate with you today. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 19 today. We open up a brand new message today with, our brand, with a brand new section of Scripture, Acts chapter 19. We just finished chapter 18 last week. We're going to be in 19 verses 1 through 7. Uh, the title of our message today, very simple, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Title again, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read Acts 19, 1 through 7, and then you can listen along or you can read along with me, whatever you'd like to do, and then, I'll, then we'll start our study. The Bible says, Luke writes, I should say, and it happened. While Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, 
that you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Now, before I begin teaching the whole section, I must make an interesting point there in, in our very beginning of our section there, verses 1 and 2, the very first couple of verses there. Please understand, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but the, the people that put in the chapters and verses did it very poorly here, very poorly for teachers. And so, being as that they did, I don't really believe, and the scripture doesn't allude to the fact that God divinely inspired people putting in the chapters and the verses into the Bible. In the very old, old Jewish Bibles, there were no chapters and verses. It was just the, you know, Isaiah's, you know, a prophetic book, and then it just, Isaiah wrote the book, and then it was just on Peppers, and there were no chapters and verses. Hence why when Jesus was on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he was doing was, he, well, he wasn't saying, oh God, you really forsook me, but that may be the way he was feeling. But what he said that for was to reference that phrase in their minds Going back to that certain psalm, uh, I don't even believe they numbered the psalms. As we have Psalm 23 and Psalm 24 and Psalm 25, they were just the psalms of David or the psalms of Asaph. And so I don't believe that the chapters and verses were divinely inspired. And, and here I'll show you a, a very example of this is what whoever designed this or put this in here and it was dumb and God's not dumb so I know it couldn't have been God. So I'm going to do my best to keep you with me while teaching our first verse today. Because again, translators made a mess of the first couple verses. Look at them real quick before I teach them. The first verse says this. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. It then continues on very awkwardly in the same verse. Now remember that, look at there, there that Ephesus there, there was a period. Okay, that was one sentence. And then it continues very awkwardly in the rest of verse 1, and it goes on to say, and finding some disciples. Then verse 2 continues on with that thought, making, think of this, one part of one sentence in one verse, and one part of the same sentence in another verse. What genius decides to break a sentence in half, not even at a good time, with a verse break. And excuse me, again, that's just dumb. And God doesn't do dumb things like that. So anyway, I don't believe the chapters and verses were inspired by God. Now, now that my rant's over, I'm going to try to do my best to keep you with me. Look at the first sentence of verse 1, and let's actually start our study. The first sentence of verse 1, the whole of verse 1, I believe, I really... I kind of, in my own mind, I go, hey, that's verse 1. And then the second sentence where it says about the disciples, that's verse 2 to me. So that's how I'm going to teach it. First sentence, verse 1, says this again. Let's see what God has to say to us. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Look who we see is back in the limelight again today. Apollos is mentioned 
But look who's back. The Apostle Paul told you last week that throughout the rest of the book of Acts, God highlights him, and that would be for the next 10 chapters. So we're back to Paul, even though Apollos is mentioned there. Apollos, just a little bit on him, and then we'll close out. Apollos is mentioned as he's in the city of Corinth. And FYI, this is the last time that that God mentions Paul's carbon copy in the whole rest of the book of Acts. Luke records that he's in the city of Corinth, and interestingly enough, the church that Paul plants there seems to be where God calls him to work, maybe and possibly to the very end of his life. As he is mentioned seven times in the first book of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. Paul says this of Apollos' service to that church. I planted, Paul speaking of himself, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. When we read, I planted, Apollos watered, what does I planted mean? It means that Paul went through and he spread the gospel. Well, that's when the church started, right? Well, then Apollos watering means that Apollos came back. And and the way it reads to me there is that God maybe led Apollos back there to teach and strengthen the believers in the church as maybe an elder or an overseer or a deacon or a pastor, because that's what watering is. Watering is taking care of the flock. Watering is giving the nourishment needed to help the plant grow. Planting is beginning the starting the plant. Watering is helping the plant grow. And this is what I believe that God sent Apollos there for, as he was Paul's carbon copy, an absolute, I mean, the way we read of him last week, he was a master in the scriptures. So what better person to send to a church that's just been planted than a person that's a master in the scriptures and knows the scriptures like Paul does. Paul couldn't have been set aside to do that. God had lots of other things for him to do. So who does he call on? Apollos to go there, and he calls him to water the people that are growing in the church. Anyway, now that you guys all have the skivvy or the down low on Apollos, just as God has transitioned from Apollos back to Paul for the rest of the book of Acts, so shall we hear in our sermon. God reminds us there in verse 1 that Paul passed through the upper regions. Remember, Luke told us the same thing in Acts 18, 22 and 23. What was he doing? Remember, he, he took his vow, so he went from Athens to Kentaria where he took the vow and then he went all the way down to Jerusalem where he took the vow then he went on to Syria Antioch and Syria where he went to his home church and then he said he went through the upper regions strengthening the brethren he was strengthening the churches the Christians that were there and lastly in what I consider to be the whole of verse one we read there that Paul makes his way back to Ephesus Ephesus would have been in that upper region. Sadly, we don't see him ever go back into that synagogue full of seeking Jews. Remember, God had Apollos finish that work. We read of that last, well, we read of that last week and praise God for his love and patience. On to the real nitty-gritty of the message. Now that we have our scene set, we know where we are. Apollos is in Corinth, where he's probably going to spend the rest of his days ministering for the Lord. Paul is now back in Apollos. And then Luke now gives us a kind of an account of what happens here, setting our scene. Pick up with me uh, in, at, the very, at the capital and, which there we, we, have their, uh, <laughs> we have our first sentence over. We're still in verse 1. I consider it verse 2. And in verse 1, it says this. Finding some disciples. We'll stop there. And I know that was a that's that's part of verse one still, and I consider it verse two. I'm gonna stop there and I'm gonna spend some time making a very logical, common sense 
argument for the sake of helping us understand the idea that God is giving us here in this section because it's a very complicated idea. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an easy one to understand. It's, it's one that a lot of people still don't understand this day. It's one that people get complicated, they get confused about. So thinking about this, you know, keeping that in the back of our mind, that's our title of our sermon, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the logical verse two and finding some disciples, this logical argument that I'm making here is notice that Luke writes about them, which means Paul considered them what? What's that one word? Disciples. And the scripture tells us a little later on that there were about 12 in all. Maybe there were 12, 13, or 14, but about 12. But the point is, is that Paul and Luke both consider them disciples. Why is this important? Well, biblically, not just anyone is given the title of a disciple. And these guys are considered disciples by Luke and Paul in regards to the Christian faith. That's huge. Making Paul's and Luke's reference of these guys as Christian disciples. Biblically, the definition of Christian of a Christian disciple was and still is defined as one who follows or obeys the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. That's what the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples, they were talking about God's first chosen disciples. That's, that's what them, we don't know anybody. There's no, in fact, there's not one place in the whole Bible where anybody is called a disciple outside of a Christian disciple other than the ones that are people that are truly following Jesus Christ and keeping his word. This huge logical detail tells us that both Luke and Paul considered these guys saved and born again. The logical detail that I point out in this section is one that not that that is one that is not thought well of in certain Christian denominations that are in our world today. I'll explain later as I kind of go on throughout this whole section. With that logical argument made, uh, look what he says next in the literal verse number two that he gives there. So he said to them, and again, they met these disciples, about 12 in all, we'll learn that later. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, really confusing, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now hold on a minute. If Paul and Luke referred to these guys as Christian disciples, Christian, you know, Christ-following disciples, so referring to them as the real deal born-again believers, how is it then that Paul asked them if they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when they believed? And then how is it that they answer, they never even heard there was a Holy Spirit at all? This is one that the denominations of today would, would differ on the logical argument that I made above about these guys really being truly born again and truly saved. They say that unless the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon a person, then they are not saved, but they are only partially right, and I'll explain as I go on. Because the baptism that they believe saves people is only one that will 100% make people speak in tongues. That's what they believe. They believe that unless somebody gets baptized with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues, then they're not saved. Unless they do that, they're not saved. But that's not what the Bible says of the Holy Spirit baptism. We'll see as we go on. Verse 6, don't go there yet. I'll get there in a little bit. But verse tells us that these guys hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet, but they do. They end up receiving it here. So, But the big question again, 
How can it be that they hadn't heard, these disciples hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit when we consider what Jesus Christ said in John 7 and what Paul says of them there in Acts 19, how what he considers them. Jesus Christ in John 7, 38-39. Listen to what Jesus says. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, that would be God's Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus speaking there about the Holy Spirit that would come into somebody's life, come upon somebody or come inside somebody, once they truly repented and once they truly surrendered and once they truly turned to him. And these guys, which Paul and Luke consider Christian disciples, so saved and born again, Paul even asking them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were when you believed? Making exact reference to the same Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ spoke of in John chapter 7. And then them not knowing of the Holy Spirit at all. How could Paul and Luke consider them saved and born again, disciples of Christ, calling them disciples, yet he nor they not know that they had received the Holy Spirit, nor not even know of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said in John 7 that once someone believed in him, as the scripture had said, they would receive the Holy Spirit, speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is exactly what they and Paul claim that they do. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he said to him, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Same as, remember, we talked about our apostle Paul, or our, I shouldn't say, I couldn't call, shouldn't call him apostle, of our disciple Apollos that we read of last week, verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a re- baptism of repentance, saying to people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, those who believe in me, as the scripture has said, out of their hearts will flow, you know, will flow rivers of living water, meaning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit you know, would come upon them, and then the Holy Spirit would come in them and then start flowing out of them. So right here, Paul agrees that John's baptism was enough to get people saved, even according to what Jesus said in John 7, and again what he says in John 14, 15 through 17. Listen to this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, here's what God showed me, like just even yesterday about this. I hadn't even seen this all week long. Paul considers them, and Luke considers them here, disciples. So that would make them what? What do disciples do? Disciples keep the ways of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul and that's what Luke considered them here. So (laughs) these guys are truly, they're keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ. They are followers of Jesus Christ. They're considered disciples by like the apostle of apostles. He calls them disciples. He considers them disciples. Certainly Paul would know who a real disciple was, right? Paul's not going to be like, well, maybe or maybe not. If Paul calls somebody a disciple, they're a disciple indeed. Look at what Jesus said. If anyone loves me, or if you love me, keep my commandments, verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice that that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So why would Paul and Luke first address them as born-again saved Christians by calling them disciples, people that keep the words of Jesus Christ, yet then ask them if they, if they knew of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then them say, ah, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. 
Certainly, if the Holy Spirit had baptized them by coming inside of them, as Jesus Christ just said in John 14, that should mean that they would have known about him, right? Right? Well, there's where it gets a little complicated. As I said, kind of alluded to last week. Not necessarily, because just like Apollos from our last week's message, I believe with all my heart that these about 12 disciples knew about his coming inside of them, but of course, they didn't know how to explain it like only some can today on this topic. It's a little bit confusing. Innately, like in their like innate, like I know something's changed in me. They knew they were changed after turning to Jesus Christ the same as I did about 19 years ago. Man, something was different. Wow, I became, wow, I'm different. I'm not the same person as I used to be. And so they became born again when they turned to him, John the Baptist baptism. And so did Paul knew that they were his because, again, he calls them disciples. But explaining the concept of this Holy Spirit baptism was and is one that is a difficult one to understand, which makes the answer to my question that I'm going to keep going on with that I asked earlier quite lengthy and even may come as a shock to you who are listening to me. So why would Paul have considered them born again? You asked them about the Holy Spirit. Why didn't they know about it even though they had received him? Because they had truly repented, believed, and turned to Jesus Christ. I start my answer with the same thing I said last week, none of the early disciples, including the Apostle Paul, including these 12 guys, remember, they did not have a New Testament Bible. The Old Testament really doesn't clarify this that well, this idea. It does talk about it just a little bit, but not quite like how Christ does in the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament Bible to learn from, which means that if they didn't have a New Testament Bible, they had no Gospels, no Matthew, no Mark, no Luke, no John. They remember, did they didn't mean have it John chapter 7 or John chapter 14 that we just read over to understand the Holy Spirit that would be given to those who would come, you know, to Jesus Christ for new life. And this one might be a huge shock to you, but that means that the early apostles' disciples didn't even know the totality of the things that even we know today, and that would include certain important ideas and details about God and His Holy Spirit, and especially the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit was one of those confusing ones, and it still is today. Today it is one of the most greatly misunderstood ideas in Scripture. Not many people can understand how God works in the matter of Holy Spirit, in regards to the baptism, some people some people think that I'm saved if I get baptized in water. Well, that's the baptism that Jesus Christ is speaking about. If I get baptized in water, then I'm saved. Some people believe that we're saved if we uh, can speak in a spiritual language, a tongue, or we call it tongues, or you know we can pray in a certain language. So, but they are those true things. <sighs> Only partially, only partially. Again, it's a complicated idea, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to explain this difficult concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why both Paul and these born-again Christians say the confusing things that they do here in Acts 19. Why, again, would Paul, Luke, first address them as born-again saved Christians, calling them disciples, keepers of the commandments of Jesus Christ? That wasn't just anybody. Yet ask them if they knew of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then them to respond, hey, I don't even know, we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit, even though they had definitely received him 
through the preaching of John the Baptist. What did both of our parties then and many today misunderstand? And what did they misunderstand last? And what do they, what do they still misunderstand today of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They didn't understand that there are actually two baptisms of the Holy Spirit. They just didn't understand. The Bible claims that there's two. One to regenerate and save someone's soul. One that comes inside when somebody believes and they turn to Christ and then they get born again, they become a new person. And one to help the believers once they are born again to be filled with God's power that the book of Ephesians says that we were created for good works that God predestined for us to walk in. Well, of course, we can only walk in those good works excuse me, if we're actually filled with God's Holy Spirit and anointed with the works, you know, with, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see these guys here get in our scripture. We'll look at that later. If you think I'm crazy, I'm not. And I can prove it from the one and only absolute authority of the whole world, the Bible. God shows us both of these baptisms in the New Testament. The first one comes in John chapter 20. If you want to go there, John chapter 20, we're going to, we'll be in verses 19 through 22 there. Verse 20 of John, again, a book that no one yet had. As John, in case you didn't know, didn't write his gospel until he was near the end of his life, and he didn't even write it until he was on the island of Patmos. Or uh, they, they tried to banish him after, in exile after they had tried to kill him, and it didn't work near the end of his life. And, and the Bible says this in John 20, 19 through 22. The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the, when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." At this point, the Bible claims that they would be considered born again believers. They get the baptism of the Holy Spirit unto be born again or the new creatures in Christ Jesus as Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Just as Jesus Christ said in John 14:23, Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him." God literally coming inside the person that turns to him, turns to Christ, and literally coming in a spiritual way and living inside of a person once they turn to Christ as the scriptures and believe in him as the scriptures says. And there in John 20, 22, notice Jesus Christ breathes his Holy Spirit into them and God's Holy Spirit come inside of them and he baptized them and he made them new creatures. So that was the first baptism. The second baptism is seen in Acts chapter 1. Look at verses Acts, or I'm sorry, look at Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through five. Listen to what we see here with our, our apostles, Jesus Christ's guys that he had walking with them for three and a half years, plus some more. There were about 120 people there anyway, just FYI. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, speaking of this second baptism of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus Christ's words are fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost comes. Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. That's interesting. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice how the Holy Spirit came and sat upon them. He came and sat upon them as a fire, as a tongue of fire. That'll be important as we continue to look on at, at this subject, but just keep that in your mind. So in this second baptism, by the way, is the one that the original disciples and the apostles of Jesus Christ received there in the upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And it is the exact same baptism that happens to these about 12 disciples in our section here in Acts chapter 19. Look at verses 5 through 7, our very last verses of today. When they heard this, speaking of these 12 disciples that I believe had been born again, you know, they turned to Christ, they believed on him as scripture said, you know, God breathed in them his Holy Spirit, they became born again. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 and all. Note that with the original disciples, the baptism of the Holy Spirit unto them, speaking in tongues, or to do the works of God, came after the baptism of the Holy Spirit came to make them born again. That's huge because you can't get them out of order. Uh, nobody's going to serve God and God's power when they're not saved and they're not sealed by God's Holy Spirit to begin with. It, it, you you got to be hired first, and then after you're hired, the works come. The whole world has that wrong. The whole world believes, well, I need to do all these good works for God, and then if I do all these good works for God, then I'll be saved. No, 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 no. The baptism to be saved came upon them, and then that they were saved and they were sealed, and then they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit unto do the works that God called them to do beforehand that he had made them to walk in, or that he had made them to walk in, and so we can't get those out of order, because one is the salvation by works, one is the salvation by grace through faith, which is how the Bible says we're saved. One baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon the soul to make a person's soul a new one, as I had that experience about 18 or 19 years ago. The second Holy Spirit baptism of a person comes upon their new person, their new in Christ, their the new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17, to pour the power of God upon them in their lives so that they can serve God in the capacity that He wants them to. That's so important. So, there were the two baptisms of the Holy Spirit that the Bible describes that I don't believe that Paul, nor the original 12 disciples, nor the, these guys in Ephesus, or maybe even anybody of those days knew of, because again, they did not have a New Testament to understand all these things. They may have known, hey, you know, we're getting, we, we just got saved, we're changed, you know, we're different people, but they didn't know how to describe it. They had only heard, you know, about this baptism of the Holy Spirit that the, that the apostles got, the, the 12 apostles, or the 11 apostles, uh, plus Matthias, plus about 120 other people, anyway. But why do I call these events baptisms of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe, Pastor, maybe the one isn't a baptism of the Holy Spirit, the one to get people saved, and then maybe it's only the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you know comes after to get them you know, filled with the works. Why do I keep calling Why do you keep calling it the, both these events the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I do because the Bible does. 
Remember that tongue sitting on top of the original apostles' heads and it was in the form of fire? Well, that's going to become important here. Uh, Better yet, it's not that I say it. The Bible does, and in fact, John the Baptist was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Because coincidentally, both of these baptisms that I just exposed you to today, that I talked to you about today, were the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit's prophecy in John the Baptist's explanation to people in Matthew 3.11. He says this. Some of these words are going to be real familiar to you. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Where do we hear that already today? Well, what baptism were you baptized into? Oh, we were baptizing the baptism of John. Well, here's the baptism of John. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, right? Believing on him who's to come. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, same as Paul refers to in here in Acts chapter 19, will baptize you, drum roll please, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did you catch that reference there? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit there's the one to get somebody saved, and fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit, as we read of in Acts chapter 1. Remember the tongues of fire that sat on their head. Both of them were the baptisms of the Holy Spirit. He, John the Baptist, prophesying, Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's two. Holy Spirit, baptism to be born again. And Holy Spirit baptism, John called fire, or God's fire, or God's power of the Holy Spirit. The second baptism that we saw our about 12 disciples get in Acts 19, and the same one that the original disciples, apostles, received in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, many in a certain denomination would only say that a person was saved after they received the second baptism so that they could speak in tongues or prophesy, but that is not, a cor- that is not correct according to what the Bible, which is the ultimate authority on all Christian matters and all matters in the whole world, says. This denomination only believes that this because they don't understand that there are two baptisms. Again, one for the saving of the soul, the other for doing the works of God, as we see with the original apostles. Just FYI, uh, Scripture shows us that only after the original pop apostles were baptized with the second baptism of the Holy Spirit that they become totally ministry-minded and powerfully empowered to serve God for the work that he had for them. And if you don't believe me, you can go John 20, after the first baptism to be born again, they become obedient to follow Jesus Christ, but then in John 21, they go fishing. They get born again, they get changed, but they're not filled with the power to do the work yet because that baptism hadn't hit them yet, and so they go fishing. After the second baptism that we read of in Acts chapter 2, they went out and they turned the world upside down. Got a scripture verse for you. Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter end. That's it. That, that, that's what we see. We see them turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 2 when they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have the power of the fire of God inside of them you're on them to, to do the work, and they go out and they serve God and change the whole world for Jesus Christ. That's why we even know of Jesus Christ today, because these, these 11 guys, plus Matthias, 12, plus the other about 100 or so that were in that upper room, went out and they changed the world for Jesus Christ. 
Now, what an awesome topic. Amen. I Praise God. I just love this topic. I love the topic of God's Holy Spirit, and I love the topic of these baptisms that he gives. I've actually taught them before, but I never tire of talking about them. Without these baptisms, it is, number one, impossible to be saved, and number two, impossible to serve God in the capacity that he desires saved people to serve him in. Now, speaking of these two different baptisms of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you who are listening to me today, this is so, so important, as I just said, those, without those baptisms, one, the one to come inside of you, the one to be saved, and two, the one that's, you know, you can't serve God, it's impossible to serve God at the capacity that he wants you to serve you in, unless you have it. I, I, the most important one of all to me, the first and foremost one, because if you get the first one, you're pretty much guaranteed to get the second one, because once you get the first one, you're going to be seeking God, you're going to be wanting to serve God, you're going to be changed person, you're going to be in love with God, and you're going to want to serve him, and God's going to see that, and for, like in my instance, I got the both baptisms all at once. I got I was filled with God's Holy Spirit and then this this power hit the top of my head and filled my whole body and I just from that point on I got up and I just started serving God. I just days days into being born again, I was preaching Jesus Christ literally and my family can testify to that. So now speaking to you who are listening to me about these baptisms of the Holy Spirit, I, I want to ask you to really consider what I'm going to say here. Number one, and most of all, important all, have you had the baptism of His Holy Spirit coming inside of you so that you could be a new creation in Christ Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... I wish he would have said it if, if Christ is in anyone, but I understood what he meant, and so can you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning abiding in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You become new, which means that biblically, if you would consider yourself truly saved, you would be a new and especially a different kind of godly focused person than before uh, Jesus Christ or before your uh, event of saying, oh, I've, I've turned to the Lord or, oh, I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ on, on this day. Remember, Jesus Christ, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So have you at least had the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be truly saved and born again so that if you were to die right now, you would, the Bible says that you would be guaranteed uh, an eternity with God in peace forever. In John 3, 3, Jesus said, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless someone is born again, they're not going to go to heaven to stay. Many in our world today believe themselves saved. But sadly, as I've discussed many times before in many, many sermons, their truths of themselves don't really hold any real truth when you hold their beliefs and ways and ideas and lives up to the Bible's truth of what it means to be saved. So today, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a a, a, a pretty decent idea of what it means to be born again, what changes you could maybe have expected to see in yourself or what you should be seeing in yourself or 
what kind of things should have been happened should have happened to you what kind of things should still be happening to you and then that'll give you a good gauge you yourselves because the bible speaks about this for a person to examine themselves the bible speaks about how we should examine ourselves to see if we are in christ meaning are we born again you know so i'm going to give you these these things and and then you can examine yourself as i go along and decide and, and decide for yourself have i really been born again because this is god's desire for you bible says that god desires none to perish but all to come to repentance and this repentance is unto life meaning it's a repentance from the dead state of which a person is before christ jesus enters into their lives and to an alive state a live spiritual state that happens to somebody once they come to be born again so i'm going to read you some things and then you can make the decision yourself and and uh, i hope that you're honest with yourself as you hear what i have to say and you decide Please decide, am I born again? Because if you're not, God wants you to be born again. First, we have 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And it was, a, it was John's first epistle, not his gospel. It was his first epistle. And he says this, Now by this we know that we know him. Meaning that we know him like Adam knew Eve in an intimate, personal relationship. By this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. Remember how Paul and Luke knew that these guys were saved and born again? They called them disciples. Disciples are those that kept the words of Jesus Christ. The words that Jesus Christ had taught, even though they weren't written down yet, the words of Jesus Christ, what he said for his people to do to follow him, they were all orally translated at that time. So everybody knew his words on, hey, this is how we come to be, you know, we come to Christ, this is how we get saved, and, and then this is how we serve him, because his teachings were orally translated throughout their whole culture, behind, as the disciples would go out and say, hey, this is what Jesus Christ taught, do this, hey, turn to him, and then this is what he has for you to do, hey, boom, 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 do this, pray, uh, reach the lost, uh, do this, do that, uh, keep, keep from this, keep from that, so this is how we know we know him, number one, if we do what he says. Now we have his word. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament. We can go and we can read. Hey, what does Jesus Christ do? Do you do what Jesus Christ says? That would be the first indicator that you are either his or not his. If you live for yourself and you're, you know, you'd not, you, well, I've read bits and pieces of the Bible. or I don't really know what the Bible says on this and the other thing. Well, what did Jesus Christ say on this? Well, I don't know. Well, how can you say you know him if you are because if you don't even know what he said, how can you be keeping his commandments? It's, it's impossible. If I've never studied the work to take the test, and I go to try to take the test, I'm going to fail because I've never studied the actual material on how I could pass the test. Verse 4, let's keep going. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, meaning the things that he said to do, is a liar. Now, that's not my words, now that's John's. John was a follower of Jesus Christ. So that one that says, I know him, but you don't do the things that Jesus Christ said. You're not only not born again, you're not only not saved, you're also, John considers you a liar. And he goes on to say, and the truth is not in him. Meaning, you're not born again. You're not truly saved because the truth's not in you. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Again, keeping his word. And then here's the, here's the, like the, the big grand slam home run. 
verse 6. He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus Christ walked. Meaning, if you say you know him, if you say that you're in him, you would tell me today, I am born again, then you are, what John just said there, then your life is going to match up with the way Jesus Christ lived his life. How did Jesus Christ live his life? Sacrificially, for others. He loved people that hate him. He turned his back when people hurt him. He preached the gospel to people. He preached the things of God. He represented God's kingdom. He abstained from things that God's word said don't do. Jesus Christ never uttered a swear word. Jesus Christ never got drunk. Jesus Christ never did was, was addicted to drugs. These things are things Jesus Christ never did. In fact, the Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians says that any that practice sin, then they're not saved. Then they're on their way to hell. Jesus did not practice sin. In fact, Jesus never sinned at all. Now, that's a little impossible for anybody today to never sin at all. But God says in the hard attitude of, I want to follow Jesus Christ, the hard attitude of the one that's turned to the Lord, that truly is born again, the hard attitude is going to be, hey, I love Jesus Christ now. I don't want to sin, even though that still doesn't mean that we're going to hit that mark. Because I've never. Maybe a day here and a day there. Maybe I slept all day that day, you know. But again, I, I, my mark was I'm never going to sin. I'm not going to sin and I'm not going to sin. God help me not to sin and, and I may blow it, but that I was still trying. Is that you? Are you trying not to sin? Are you keeping yourselves away from the TV shows that are blaspheming God? Do you open yourself up to music where that speaks profanity and things against God and you just think oh, I'm saved but I just do whatever I want I can watch anything I want I can I can watch any movies I want I can I can I can, it doesn't matter how I drive it doesn't matter how I cut people off I do you live your life like Jesus Christ lived his life does your lifestyle back up the profession of your words, I love Jesus Christ. I'm born again, as John wrote in his epistle. Because John just told us that if you really knew him, then you'll do the things that he told you to do in his teachings and not do the things he told you not to do in his teachings. Do your actions and deeds embody the teachings of Jesus Christ? Are you striving to make your lifestyle embody the teachings of Jesus Christ. Or as John put it in verse 6, he who says he abides in him also ought to himself walk just as Jesus Christ walked. A really good way to think about it, uh, the chorus of a really neat Christian song that's out today by a group called Casting Crowns, it's called Life Song, and the song goes like this, you know, let my life song sing to you. Does your life song or the life of your actions and your words, sing out a lifestyle of loving and following and obeying Jesus Christ's teachings and his ways of life, or does it not? That's the real nitty-gritty. Here's another that goes along with what I just said. Bible says, do you strive to live a life of sinlessness? Do you strive to obey 
his teachings and just overall do you strive to live the same lifestyle as he did out of pure love and relationship with him remember how i said earlier we're not keeping his ways so that we can be saved like oh i'm going to do all these good ways of jesus and then he's going to save me the bible says if you're saved these good things will flow from you a good tree will not produce bad fruit a bad tree will not produce good fruit the tree at the center if you're born again you've become a good tree is your good tree producing the good fruits of jesus christ because you've been saved or do you think you're a good tree but your tree produces bad and nasty and ugly fruit of sin and rebellion to god and just live in the ways that you want to live simply put If you're not striving to live like him and keep his words and teachings, then you're not his. And if you're not his, that means you've not had the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be born again. If you believe you know him, then your lifestyle should represent him. And the one that he lived in his fleshly body, is that you? Is that you? Again, I'm not so concerned about those out there that are maybe have been saved and they're not walking in the powers of, of, of Christ and God and speaking in tongues yet or they're not, you know, because they've, they've just been saved for a little while. That, that baptism will come. You seek the Lord Jesus Christ that that's you. I'm talking to the people now that think that they're His, but they're not really because they've never had a change of heart. They've said, oh, I believe on Jesus, but there's a belief of the head and there's a belief of the heart. The belief of the heart is the one that God's looking for. That's the belief of repentance where I stop living for myself. Well, forget that. John 12, 25, 26. I'll just read you Jesus' words. He who loves his life will lose it. If you love your life and you want to be the ruler of your life and you want to be the master of your life, you'll lose your eternal life. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hey, you know what? I'm giving my life away. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. I'm giving it away. I'm hating my life now because I want Jesus Christ to be my ruler. Then Jesus says you have eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, Jesus Christ speaking, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And if you want to serve Jesus, and you set your heart, I'm going to serve Jesus, I want to love Jesus, I'm going to turn to Jesus, I want to be born again, then his Father will honor you, as Jesus Christ just said, and that honoring you will come in the form of him filling you with his Holy Spirit so that you could be a new creature, so that you can actually love God, so that you can actually serve God in his ways, so that you actually can be a new person. Simply, what God wants is he wants you to turn to Christ. He wants you to surrender to Him. He wants you to stop fighting and stop wanting to live your own life for you and stop wanting all the things of the world. And He wants you to look up. And Jesus Christ, I need you. I'm so sorry. Wow. I didn't really realize what it meant to be born again. But I want to be born again. He wants you to surrender Him. Same way uh, a man and a woman will decide at one point, many men and women decide at many points to be married. They give up on their lives of singleness. They give up on their lives of selfishness. They give up on their lives of me, 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 me. And they turn to one another 
and in a sense they get maritally saved. I mean, you know, if you want to say it like that, it's a neat way to say it. They get, they get in, in bound together. God wants to be bound with you as a man and a woman that get married, where you decide, hey, the world behind me, the cross before me, I need Jesus Christ. God loves you so much, and He really desires with all His heart for you to be baptized by the first baptism of His Holy Spirit and be saved. Jesus Christ, to make that happen, came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless lifestyle. He died on a cross for your sins, to make atonement for your sins, so that you, if you come to Him, if you turn to Him, can be presented to God in a holy and perfect way because he paid your sin penalty. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. Now he just wants you to turn to him today. Truly repent and decide to love him back. What will your response be? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, that your word makes things so clear. God, we have our, the ways of the world, the ways of people nowadays. Lord, the ways of people and the way that they, they make up these teachings about you, Lord, that those just the ways of man. Oh, we'll just do this and just do that and just work this really hard and oh, or just get baptized in water or, ju- or just do this or just do that. And then, you know, maybe, just, just maybe God will, God will save you. And, but, Lord, we have your ways, <laughs> the ways that your word prescribes. The, Lord, it's your eternal life. If it's your eternal life, you make the rules, not me and not people. People that make their own rules on how they get to their own eternal life will end up in destruction. But Lord, if we follow your words to eternal life, then we shall be saved. So Lord, I just pray, God, please, for those listening to this message today, that they would just fall on their knees and cry out to you and and beg you and plead with you It doesn't take long, Lord, for you to make them born again. God, because you long to to make them born again. You long to have them in perfect fellowship and perfect relationship with you. You long for that. God, if they just will set their hearts to seek you and set their hearts to cry out to you, Lord, set their hearts to get in your word and read your word and to cry out to you in prayer, even hours a day, Lord God, But I pray that they would set their hearts to seek you and desire you in their lives, Lord God, the same way even stronger than they desire the things of the world in their lives. Please, dear God, help them to see your love right now and help them to turn to you and truly be saved and truly get born again by the first baptism of the Holy Spirit that you long to give all mankind. Thank you, Lord God and praise you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.